This is the Quad. I'm Summer Fields. For many, Bob Dylan is a figure deeply rooted in dichotomy, a larger-than-life force who has flourished in the contradictions he produces. Dylan weighs in at 35 studio albums and has been active for over five decades. In 2012, President Barack Obama said of Dylan that, "quote There is not a bigger giant in the history of American music," and gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. There is not a, a bigger giant、uh, in the history of、uh, American music.、Uh, all these years later,、uh, he's still chasing that sound,、uh, still searching for a little bit of truth, and、uh, I have to say that I am a really big fan. Now, valued Quad listener. I'm sure the idea of Bob Dylan changing the game musically and culturally is nothing particularly shocking to you. A ton of ink has been spilled on every facet of his inimitable persona by cultural critics, English professors, and historians alike. But to hear you, Chicago music theorist and professor Steve Rings, tell it, the formal treatment of Bob Dylan within the academic disciplines of traditional musicology and music theory is, ironically, a fairly radical and out-of-the-box move. Rings is writing his second book, all about the musical canon of Bob Dylan, and by dint of this noble effort, well, I'd say the times they are a changing. So, I think that no one would debate that Bob Dylan's influence on popular music, on the cultural ethos, has been incalculable. You make it seem as though doing academic scholarship on Dylan is so、Unusual. out of left field. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. A, I mean, it's not at all right. In certain corners of academia, Dylan has been a canonical figure for forty years. There are genealogies of this of Dylan's scholarship that you can read. He was being taught. In not just any universities, but elite research universities, as early as the late sixties. So yes, Dylan has absolutely been one of the most canonized figures in in scholarship, but it has been entirely outside of music. Until I started my research, there have been only a handful of articles,、uh, and mostly very brief,、uh, dealing a little bit with Dylan. And it's not just in English departments. Cultural studies,、uh, comparative literature, American studies. Dylan would be a major figure. Any kind of history course that's dealing with the counterculture, he would be a major figure. In what ways are you approaching him、yeah. academically? The main approach, in a in a nutshell, is I'm focused on Bob Dylan in live performance, in particular in the ways his performances of a single song. Change over fifty years, and they change dramatically,、uh, astonishingly. Especially for people who don't know his live performances, it can be really shocking.、Uh, I just recently published an article online, so anyone can access it. In fact, in a journal called Music Theory Online,、uh, on forty-five years of performance of the song called "It's All Right, Mom, Only Bleeding,"、uh, which goes through. All of these different genres. It starts out as a very self-conscious sort of folk blues. Which、uh, solo acoustic guitar and voice, which also nevertheless has hints of rockabilly of the Everly Brothers, of other electric blues traditions, and so forth. 
darkness at the break of noon Shadows, even the silver spoon The handmade blade, the child's balloon Eclipses both the sun and moon To understand, you know, too soon There's no sense in trying But then as he performs it over the course of his career, it changes wildly. It becomes at certain points a country number. At one point in the late 70s, it takes on an arena rock sort of sound, almost a heavy metal. Uh, At other points, it has hints of gospel. There are hints of Phil Spector girl group arrangements in some of it. Darkness at the break of noon Shadows even the silver spoon The handmade plate, the child's balloon Eclipses both the sun and moon To understand you know too soon That there is no sense in trying So my focus right now is very much on What I'm considering a kind of longitudinal history of various songs Which then radiates out to a whole fascinating constellation of theoretical issues, which are not that hard to grasp. One of them is what kind of thing is a song for Bob Dylan? What are the kind of necessary constituents for some performance, some moment of performance, to be a token of the type tangled up in blue or of don't think twice, it's all right, when it can change so drastically? And then what kinds of meanings accrue to that? How do those changes in the song resonate with or echo certain proximate historical contextual forces or political moments. One example would be in It's All Right, I'm Only Bleeding, there's a famous uh, line about sometimes even the President of the United States must have to stand, stand naked. A preacher's preacher of evil fates Teachers teach that knowledge waits Can lead you to hundred dollar plates Goodness hides behind its gates Even the president of the United States Sometimes I must have to stand naked And it's one of these lines that actually becomes a little tiresome Because the song is long and really complex But audiences wait for that line so they can cheer And it sort of reduces the whole complex song to one slogan but anyway, that started to happen in 1974. For kind of obvious reasons, Dylan had returned to touring after a big break and was doing this massive tour, and that's in the middle of the Watergate scandal. And so, and then you can notice how the song moves in and out of set lists, tracking with political changes. One of the other things that challenged me about Bob Dylan as a topic is you know, it's hard to think of any other mass cultural figure in the post-war era who is more imbricated in these social and cultural movements, especially in the 60s. To the extent that for many, that's the only way he's talked about. He's only talked about as kind of a figure that's representing a civil rights movement or the counterculture or maybe a certain kind of post Uh, I was going to say post-Altamont subjectivity, which is such a pretentious scholarly thing to say. You know, the post-60s kind of turn inward, think of the singer-songwriter thing. So there are all of these ways in which he has talked about, primarily in terms of these broader social, cultural, identity kinds of trajectories, uh, and not about music. So can you speak a little bit about 
Bob Dylan's influences and what traditions he derives his own style from. Yeah. And really what he went on to influence. Yeah. So I guess there are two sides of that question, his influences and then his influence. Uh, The influences are manifold. They are countless. Uh, He performed his influences, so to speak, early on in a very self-conscious way. Uh, The biggest of them obviously being Woody Guthrie, uh, Pete Seeger. Kind of a, a father figure, and there was some typical agon between them as father and protege. Famous story about when Dylan went electric. Uh, this is sort of, you know, almost folkloric moment in popular music in July 1965. There's a story about Pete Seeger allegedly being backstage with an axe to cut the cable. Which, you know, there are all sorts of debates whether it's true, but it's such a great story. And I mean, you can read that forever. As a kind of fear of modernity, fear of mass culture, and so forth. But he had countless influences in addition to that. So that was kind of the sanctioned one, along with a whole host of famous and not-so-famous kind of roots musicians. Southern rural musicians, uh, both African-American and uh, white. Delta blues musicians, obviously. Robert Johnson, Charlie Patton, Sunhouse, and so forth really obscure Appalachian musicians. He collected records like crazy. There are reports of him as a young person. People would say he always had to find the original. He's like a scholar. But he had a whole pretty encyclopedic background in mainstream pop music. And that was not going to be especially marketable in the early 60s Greenwich Village. Uh, so it was quite repressed by, by him. Uh, although he later, when he wanted to distance himself from that world, and especially by after Woodstock when he wanted to distance himself from hippie culture, then he absolutely professed it. All of these unfashionable musicians, Everly Brothers, a lot of country music, mainstream country music, which for the hippie counterculture especially uh, was pretty anathema. This was viewed as highly conservative music. And Dylan loved that stuff. Uh, he loved mainstream country. What you really find is he loves song in so many forms. So in this sense, do you think Bob Dylan would be a little more sincere than his counterparts, or do you think some of his appreciation was more tongue-in-cheek? Or is it hard to separate? So these are, that's an interesting way of putting it. Sincerity is, (laughs) is an adjective or a concept uh, that is almost never associated with Bob Dylan, despite certain moments when you have a kind of confessional, vulnerable, wounded singer-songwriter persona that he's adopting. But even so, it was so clear early on to so many that that was a persona. Uh, He's been accused from the beginning of being nothing but a series of masks and a series of personae, none of whom are him. I mean, as as you may know, uh, he completely dissembled about his origins when he got to New York. He hardly said anything about Minnesota and claimed that he came from, that he traveled all over, that he'd uh, lived in, you know, Gallup, New Mexico, that he'd been a hobo, that he'd been in the circus, and so forth, and met all these strange figures. And it was all false. He was a, a middle-class Jewish kid from Hibbing and Duluth, you know. Did that work? Did people believe him? At first. And then there was, and uh, credulously repeating it, you know, on in interviews and on the sleeve of his first record, credulously repeating all of these tall tales. And then Newsweek did a big expose story in, I think, 1963, and he was 
furious, saying, hey, guess what? This is who this person is. So in any case, sincerity is not something people often attach to him uh, because he's such a shapeshifter, and it's so hard to figure out what he really thinks about something. But when you say his relationship to those musical styles was that sincere, that's a really interesting question which people rarely ask, and I think it is. One thing I don't ever sense that is feigned in Bob Dylan is his enthusiasm for this huge range of musical traditions. Uh, an enormous enthusiasm. He's just an omnivorous consumer of musics. And so that's one way in which Dylan, for all of the kind of obvious postmodern aspects of his person, uh, you know, the kind of performative nature, the fact that you can never figure out who the real guy is, that it's, you know, one disguise after another. And postmodern scholars have a field day with this. It's like, the, again, the easiest thing in the world to read. I mean, he does a concert in 1964 on Halloween where he, he'd like to joke a lot from the stage at that time. He was very funny. And he says something about, oh, I have my Bob Dylan mask on tonight. And, I mean, that's like gold for a postmodern, post-structuralist scholar. Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing Blowing lights gonna sweep my world away I'm gonna stop in Carbondale and keep on going That Duquesne train go ride me night and day Thank you so much for listening to The Quad. I'm Summer Fields. You can find all of our episodes at thequadpodcast.com or find us on iTunes. If you like what you heard, or even if you don't, please give us a review. You can reach out to our team at producers at thequadpodcast.com. This episode was produced today by myself and Deshaun Mosley. Special thanks to Steve Rings for talking with us today. I'll leave you with the voice of Bob Dylan himself, brought to you by budding impressionist and a 2014 alum of the college, Charlie Cardman. Take it away, Charlie. I'm so fancy, you already know. I'm in the fast lane from LA to Tokyo. I'm so fancy, can't you taste this gold? Remember my name, about to blow. I'm so fancy, you already know. I'm in the fast lane from LA to Tokyo. I'm so fancy, can't you taste this gold? Remember my name, about to blow. Hey, hey, hey.